like a buddy cop movie where both guys are the loose cannon. It's Sin the Fields. Welcome to Sin the Fields. I'm Tad Whistle. I'm Patrick Stegemiller. Pat, finally happened. Mm-hmm. We did it. Yep. We finally we got that recognition that we've been striving for, that we knew we deserved all along. Ultimate is going to be in the Olympic. Oh, wait. Oh, we're not. We're not in the Olympics. <laughs> Still is, not in the Olympics. This is a, this is a rough time uh, to be, uh, you know, putting the show on hiatus because uh, I think we could have gotten like four whole episodes out of this. We really, we really could have milked this. I, I don't know who the blame is. Look, it doesn't matter. And, Maybe there is no blame because the Olympics are whatever, and we would have only gotten niche coverage anyway. But the fact that Tom Crawford was unable to, like, I don't know, bribe the right people to make this happen is pathetic. Look, if Beach of Dreams isn't going to get us into the Olympics, I think we have to reconsider the entire structure of American Ultimate and how we are developing and presenting the sport. Beach of Dreams, that was our that was our one shot. It was like when it's like when you watch a cooking show and someone does something incredibly risky and the judges <laughs> hate it. <laughs> Uh, it was our American Idol audition, but we showed up wearing like uh, like a cow onesie or something, and we're <laughs> sort of like, "Hey, maybe this will be what sets us apart." <laughs> the farmer in the dell. Wait till they hear right. my rendition. Gonna play with my udders the whole time. Like, yeah, <laughs> people. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what's the, your look. reaction though? Like the, your, your emotion, did you have an emotional reaction at all when you heard the news? I guess I had assumed it would eventually happen. Although I'm at that point in my life where like, um, I'm not trying to, I'm done selling people on why ultimate is cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like, I, that energy is gone from me forever. I will defend ultimate in bars. And, uh, if someone hits me with some kind of comment that I think is dickish. Right. I will escalate and lose it. But I'm not like, hey, let me tell you about this great game. It's called Ultimate Frisbee. Like that 19-year-old version of myself, that's gone. So I thought it would eventually happen. It seemed like we were checking all the boxes and uh, Tom Crawford and USCU were like successfully Clay Davising <laughs> us through the whole thing. <laughs> Like, I'm going to turn on the money fountain. Like, you got to get these building permits, Stringer, if you want to be in the Olympics. So who, who's the Stringer in this situation? All of us. Any due-paying member. We're all, right. <laughs> because, like Stringer Bell, we're trying to be legitimized uh, so that we don't have to keep playing this sport at ball fields when youth soccer is not happening, you know? Right. We want... We want to be in the light. We want to be members of the sport society. Yeah. So does that mean that the the anti-Olympic part of the community is Avon Barksdale? 
who's a little bit like, nah, this is where we belong. Yes. You know? Like you got to hold down your corner of yes. playing on this dirt <laughs> patch at a 12 degree angle, 45 minutes outside of Toledo. Right. And handball is Omar. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. And Lepler's brother Mozone. Uh, Keith Rayner, obviously Cheese Wagstaff. Charlie's prop Joe. Right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Bound to be betrayed by Keith at some point. Uh huh. <laughs> Leffler as Brother Muzone is so funny. <laughs> Like the addiction and everything, just right. <laughs> your boy's outside. He's sleeping. <laughs> well, a thirty-eight at close range will do that. <laughs> He's gut shot. He's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. I, we could. I, we, we promised that this is going to be just sort of like an intro thing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it doesn't matter that the ultimate's not in the Olympics. And if you think it's a big deal, you are probably a bonery high school player who thought that this was ever going to pan out into something more than a game people played and sunk a lot of time and money into and never that never came back and that's fine. Right. So I want, it's okay. Like a Ziggy Sabatka, if you will. Uh, really thought the docks were going to be his legacy. You know, I really thought he was that he was the prince who was the heir that was going to inherit this brave new world. Who's the presbo? Uh, someone who left for disc golf and is doing much better work there. Oh, so also Charlie, I guess. Right. The duality of Charlie. Right. (laughs) Eating shit on this time sink sport and having great success as a, as a disc golf guy. Doing important work there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it would be great. It would be great to, uh, be able to have someone come on the show and interview them about the failures of USAU to, to make the Olympics. But we're not doing that because again, we're not making any new content. This is, <laughs> this, this is, doesn't count. This, this does, does not count. count. Does not count. But what we are doing, uh, is we're going to, we're going to take a little look back here. We wanted to, uh, you know, how much of this is us just being really lazy and patting ourselves on the back. How much of it is being very vain and saying, you know what the world needs to hear things we've already done again. Yes. Who knows? Uh, but we we wanted to put together um, a little best of here of some of our favorite interviews that we've done uh, over the years, over the seven years of this program. And we're not exactly sure which ones those are going to be. That's going to be uh, there's going to be some probably on the cutting room floor. We're sort of like vaguely sending a list to Sue and seeing what <laughs> what here comes deal of it. with this deal with this. Sorry, Sue. But I think you know there's there's. There's so many favorites. It's we like the initial list was just like way too long, so we're not exactly sure. We've you know a couple locks that are definitely going to be there. 
you know, one of the one of the Metro East interviews has got to be, you know, Lindsay Goldsmith, um, I think will uh, will always remember that as like one of the pinnacles of the show. I think that interview. So that one's definitely going to be in there. You know, I, we'll have some some earlier ones. Although, and again, apologize for the audio. Like I went back and listened to some of our early interviews where it's us recording directly onto Skype, and I've just got like a janky ass like twenty dollar plastic headset mic that I bought from Amazon. <laughs> and before that, it was just you talking into your computer. Yes. Yeah, that was a thing for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think we had the most fun doing on the show was talking to people who had a deep history with the game and people who were able to sort of reflect on where the sport had been, where it's going and fill in a lot of the blanks, you know, for a sport that's been played for, you know, 40 years plus, but doesn't necessarily have a ton of history available, you know, not to discredit the work of like some of the, the historians of the game, but getting to do some of those was really cool. Obviously the I bleed black interview that we did, I think earlier this year, right. Was, um, yeah, too recent. Yeah. Too recent to make this, but like really a pinnacle of the show. So I think we'll be highlighting some of those people like Lindsay Goldsmith. I'm sure Frank Sarbones is going to be on here. Legend. So before we before we before we throw off to the segment, Tad, are there any 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 favorite interviews you remember, or any least favorite ones? Any any total fucking disasters you want to call out? <laughs> there, I mean, we've we had some disasters. I guess the worst interview was probably the Bo Kittredge on speakerphone with Cassidy Rasmussen <laughs> and Jimmy Mickle. That was a war crime. For sure, that was yeah. really bad. Um. But that's on us for thinking that it would be a good idea. I remember we 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 were having going to have Bo on the show, and then he's like, he calls he calls in, he's like, hey, I'm here with Jimmy and Cassidy. We're just chilling on the couch. Is that cool? We're just all going to do the interview, and we were like, and this is our this is our first year doing the show, and we were like, yeah, sure, Bo, <laughs> whatever you say. Yeah, yeah, it was a. Uh... That was a miss. You call that a <laughs> call that a miss. But uh, the great thing that happened in that interview, Pat, is that you compared Cassidy. We were talking about Entourage, and you compared Cassidy Rasmussen to Turtle. You said he was the Turtle of Bo's Entourage. I did, and uh, that was funny as fuck. And I'm glad Cassidy Rasmussen never beat you up for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely could. It's a very very strong looking guy. So yeah, we're going to we're going to get out of the way of the of the content now. Um but thanks uh thanks to all of our guests who have come on the show, even the ones who did bad interviews. We really appreciate <laughs> especially it. Especially the ones who did bad, especially those. You know who you are. Um I will say this isn't going to make it for make it here, but I cuz I think we already we plugged this last Christmas again. But if you're really hankering for some STF guests and interview content, Go back and listen to the Christmas episode we did during December 2020, like in the absolute thick of the pandemic quarantine. And we did a trapped in the STF lounge Christmas special that was sort of like a like a 60s like variety show. That Christmas was special super where it's weird. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Check that because everyone is in a terrible headspace and overserved. So definitely <laughs> give that one a listen if you've not. Yeah, and we had we have some of our all time favorite guests and uh, 
Ultiworld uh, cohorts on uh, on that one. So make sure you check that out. Uh, but hey, enough from us right now. Let's uh, get to the show. Sin the Fields is brought to you by Sunset Lake CBD. Sunset Lake CBD is a hemp farm located just outside Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake produced milk for Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and in 2019, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake CBD believes that their farm-to-table approach is the best way for you to get responsibly produced, high-quality CBD products that actually work. Oh my god, Pat. Okay, Pat is hammering Sunset Lake CBD oil right now as we speak. It's a little hard for me to talk because you have to keep it under your tongue for 20 seconds. I've got the citrus flavor <laughs> CBD oil in right now. It's really good. How's it going? What What does the near future hold for, for you, Pat, as you've just consumed a large <sighs> drop? There we go. Yeah, you got a, it's got a handy little pipette tool that comes uh in the cap and uh it's it's gonna be a nice you know recording on a sunday afternoon here cbd great for sunday afternoons you know you just you feel like a nice sense of calm and clarity i might go for a little walk after we finish this up here you know i'm reading a book about eels right now ride the cbd all the way to the top while i read about the history of eels what have you gotten to the part in the book about uh, eel representation in the media? No, but did you? But did you know that uh, humans have never seen eels reproduce? Really? Yeah, they won't breed in captivity, and uh, there's like one spot, like in the ocean, that kind of shifts around where it all goes down, and it's like down, like in the muck and grass and stuff like that. And and once an eel has a baby, we think it just dies. Because we don't see any, they just like their their stomachs turn into sex organs when they swim to go back to like the the breeding grounds. Is it just me, or is that extremely hot? <laughs> I mean, yowza! So if you want to have the kind of focus and clarity to be able to get that reading <laughs> list done, you know that big stack of books next to your bed. Sunset Lake CBD. We'll uh, we'll plug you right in. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use coupon code SIN for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. As a nerd of the Metro East, I knew that there was only one person uh, from the old original layout who had won the award before. But the Metro East only Callahan winner all time joining us from Swarthmore, Lindsay Goldsmith Markey. Lindsay, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks. Well, let's let's just go with the obvious first question, the, the easiest to answer. What's changed over the last 20 years since you won the Callahan? And- <laughs> 2001 just kind of a thumbnail just kind of a blanket you can well um I don't really play ultimate anymore so that's changed (laughs) Um, definitely still has a soft spot in my heart I do coach at ultimate other than that I'm a grown-up now so that's different (laughs) 
<laughs> it's been a long time since I've drank beer out of a disc, um, which was a regular part of my life at some point. Um, and I don't know. I have some kids. I have a house. I have a job. That's all different. <laughs> uh, I did the deep dive on RSD leading up to this interview because it would have been a disservice not to. <laughs> and one of the things people mentioned in a, uh, a post, you know, nominating and seconding your Callahan campaign was, <laughs> it was a, a former teammate of yours who was like, no one spends more time on ultimate on our team than Lindsay. <laughs> I think that's accurate. I think that my parents would have preferred if I paid a little more attention to school. <laughs> I, I mean, I played ultimate in high school when it, it wasn't that big in high school. And then I came to Swarthmore and was like, this is what I'm going to do with pretty much all of my time. <laughs> so yeah, I played a lot. I captained, we did a lot to try to like make our team something that the school paid attention to so that they would pay for us to go to nationals and stuff like that. Cause it wasn't a big ultimate was like just a, uh, something with people running around on a lawn <laughs> when I got there. Um, yeah, yeah, what was it like trying to pitch the legitimacy of Ultimate to your, you know, college's club sports department or whatever back then? Because we've got listeners in high school, yeah. college kids who have only known Ultimate as this major American sport where YCCs <laughs> and it shows up on Sports Center sometime. What was the perception like? What was the, you know, what was the struggle like back in the late 90s, early 2000s? Um, when you try to pitch the sport? My freshman year, we didn't, we went to regionals, but we didn't qualify for nationals. But the other three years that I was at Swarthmore, we did. And sophomore year, we just showed up in the president's office. I mean, Swarthmore is a pretty small school and <laughs> his name was Al Bloom. And we were like, hey, Al, we're going to go to a national championship, which is something that Swarthmore doesn't really do in sports. So we'd really like for you to pay for us so we could have jerseys that aren't t-shirts and some plane <laughs> tickets to Boulder, Colorado. And he was like, hmm. And we were like, well, how many other sports teams do you have that do this kind of thing? And he was like, not really any. And so, yeah, so we got some, he gave us some money that first year. And then after that, we, um, they kind of started budgeting in some stuff for us, but we just went right to the, <laughs> I don't know whose idea that was. So you were the premier athletes of Swarthmore College. I mean, I probably shouldn't knock down. They, they canceled the football team while I was there, which was. Um, oh, a travesty to many people. Wait, um, canceled, like just cut funding or canceled, like 2020 canceled? <laughs> Doxed them. Like there was no more varsity football team. Wow. So yeah, I think you have a pretty, probably <laughs> a pretty good claim to being the premier athlete in the history of Swarthmore. <laughs> that's, that's probably As a Callahan <laughs> winner. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I've, I'm sure there were better athletes. Um, <laughs> But we did bring Swarthmore into a, I mean, that was sort of the thing that was cool for us is that we were this tiny little school and we mostly, like when we got to nationals and stuff, we were mostly playing against like Stanford, University of Georgia, like big schools that had big pools of people and they had coaches. Um, I was actually just, because I was trying to remember the names of some people, <laughs> I went back and was searching to see if I could find an article that they published right after they awarded the Callahan Awards and one of the things in the article said that the Georgia coach at the time said Swarthmore was like the one team that no coach wanted to play early on in a tournament because they were afraid we, that we might upset them. And I just remember reading that and being like, you guys had coaches. 
we just like, I don't know. We just had ourselves. <laughs> hey, that's high. That's, that's high praise, you know, being the wild card dark horse team, you know, floating around nationals, ready to, ready to take down some giants. That's, you know, that's got to make you feel good. I don't think any coaches have said that about a Metro East team at nationals in quite some time. So. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. And so Lindsay, your first year at Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, I think as a state or at least half of it or whatever was in the mid Atlantic. And then there was this redraw in 1999 and you became part of the inaugural Metro East class, part of the first drawing of the region. And I know that after you graduated, you also, I believe, were the regional coordinator. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot that I did that. I did that. (laughs) (laughs) That was a sucky job. That was like a lot of work. (laughs) And we had to drive. We had to have it. I think we had it at Edinburgh. Yeah. In 2004. Yeah. Yeah. And we had me and Dan Heckman, who did the men's, we had to drive out there. Oh, God, that was a lot of work. Yeah. Gorgeous campus, right? Gorgeous fields. <laughs> I, I don't. I think God's country. Really, I think it was really flat, is what I remember. <laughs> it is flat. There was glacial activity that made it, that made Edinburgh very flat. So I guess when you came up in the Metro East and would later go on to win the Callahan for the region and then become a regional coordinator. Did you know the Metro East was going to be bad forever when these (laughs) things were happening? Well, I can tell you that we, (laughs) we fought, you know, tooth and nail to try to win sectionals and then win regionals and get to nationals. And then we got to nationals and, you know, it was kind of a big deal to play against these teams who were clearly a lot better than we were. So it was definitely the more we played, outside of our region, the more it became clear that we were definitely a little bit of a weak link. (laughs) Um, But when we were in it, it felt real and it felt hard. And (laughs) I guess also, because I played, I know it's not the same, but I played club in the Metro East too. And uh, I think it's probably fair to say that the same is true there. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, at least when, at least when I was playing. I think at the time, I think that, I think that holds up. Yeah. So what was the reputation of the Metro East back at that time? Because I know obviously it's a new region, so it's you know a reputation that is being created in that moment. But for the early years there, was it sort of the ugly redheaded stepchild of the college division the way it is now? Or was it like, <laughs> hey, we have this brand spanking new region. Let's see what promise and potential it may hold. Yeah, I mean, I think I can't remember enough to speak from the the region as a whole perspective, but just from the women's perspective. I think that the region was full of a lot of like really scrappy teams who had a Mm -hmm. lot of intention of trying to like, you know, like Bucknell was our main rival and they like us were like underfunded. We all, they played in tie dyed t-shirts. We played in like just cotton t-shirts. Everybody else had uniforms. Couldn't even afford tie dye. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was like, uh, but we played our asses off. We played our hearts out and we, and we got a lot better kind of together. Both those two teams got better. And I think we both were sort of nerve wracking to other bigger teams when we played them. So I think it was, and like, you know, Penn was in our division and they'd had a, like a lot much longer history of being sort of a better established Venus, uh, the women's team being pretty Mm -hmm. well established, but they had kind of like a low point when I was, they were, were not as powerful as they'd been in years before for a little 
sort of time. So it was kind of like us and Bucknell and Princeton. And I think people saw us as like scrappy and trying to like stir things up and get in the way. And we might be, we might be a problem. I don't really know how people saw us from the outside, but from the (laughs) inside, it felt like we're coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't underestimate us. (laughs) So the Swarthmore women's team gets a lot of love uh, at Ulti world because of their absolutely elite team name. War Mothers. <laughs> Incredible. Um, were they War Mothers all the way back at the beginning when you yeah. were there? So that's been, a, that's been a generational name. Yeah. So War Mothers and Earthworms, which is the men's team name, they're both anagrams of the right. word Swarthmore. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I think they've just sat around with a, I was going to say an anagram program, but actually probably some yeah. people just figured it out because that's like a very Swarthmore thing to do. I know. Let's drink beer and see how many words we can make from the word. Since you, since you still, uh, you live pretty close to campus. Have you ever thought about showing up to a practice with your Callahan award and just big timing everybody there? Hell yeah. And <laughs> just giving sort of out of pocket advice to just like, Oh, you got to throw that flick farther. Trust me. Like, when I told my kids that this is what I was going to be doing, well, the other night when we were supposed to be on, they were like, oh, they want to they interview you, mom. That's super cool. What's it for? And I said, oh, it's, it's for this, you know, this thing. I won an award a long time ago. They didn't know that I'd won an award. And then one of them goes, oh, is that that thing that's in the attic that's really dusty? And I was no. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> It's it lives in our attic. It has a lot of dust on it. <laughs> oh my god! I know it feels. How do you? What do you display that? How do you display that in your home when you're a grown up? <laughs> Wait, so you you said you you coach youth ultimate right now? Yeah, right? yeah. We we run a rec program for third through eighth grade. Okay. Well, how many how many parents of the youth that you coach have any idea your backstory and ultimate, or that you won the Callahan, or? played at a high level or, or anything like that? Well, I coach with two, two other folks who played ultimate at the same time as I do. So they know, but I don't think anybody else knows. Okay. I don't know <laughs> if you, you had two beers at like a cookout or something. You were like, you know, I won the fucking Callahan by the way. <laughs> One time I got in an argument with someone who was like getting all feisty about women in sports. And I had had quite a bit to drink and I, that did, that conversation <laughs> did happen. Yes. <laughs> and I had to be like, my husband's name is Frank. I had to be like, Frank, tell him what the Callahan is. I was like, it's like the Heisman, but for Frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> but your friends vote on it. <laughs> so it's cooler. <laughs> if, a, if a parent is ever, I'm sure we all know there's like insufferable like youth sports parents who think that they know more than the coach and they're like, no, 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 do this. So if you ever get, you know, some parent coming and just like, no, like <laughs> Reggie, cut. Cut, Reggie. You can tell him to like shut the fuck up because you've got a Callahan. You should have it with you. <laughs> should I just be like, oh, excuse me, I just had this in my backpack right, yeah. and I wanted you to see just, this. Just like take it out of a cooler and just show it to them and be like, Dusty I actually trophy. think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think that's a good that's good advice. I'm going to start carrying it around with me in the back of my minivan. <laughs> what what is it? What did it? What is it? Has it changed from what it is now? I don't know. I don't know what it looks like now, but it's mm-hmm. like a like a wooden. It's actually, it's really kind of obnoxiously large. It's like a wooden (laughs) bottom. And then the top is like a gold figure of a person throwing a flick. And there's a plate on it that says, that's engraved. That says Callahan winner 2001, my name. I think that's it. But it's just really, it's really tall. It's like, I think it's three tiers. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, it's really large. (laughs) 
it's, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about what it was like winning the Callahan? Like, I don't know what the selection process was like in terms of like, did they call finalists up at nationals? Did you have any idea you were going to win or anything like that? So like the night before they told the top five people. So I guess I knew I was in the top five, which that was a little bit less surprising to me than winning. Like winning was, I wasn't thinking that was going to happen, but I think because I had captained a team that like most people didn't even know existed. And then we were at nationals three years in a row. We did decently well, considering that we were small and scrappy and uncoached and stuff. And if I remember, I think one of the things that's really important to me as an athlete is that like, maybe it comes from growing up playing ultimate, but like, I don't want points that I didn't earn. I don't want to win if I didn't really win. And so there were definitely like pivotal moments in crucial games where I like self-called fouls or said like, no, that was definitely out or whatever, you know, like that kind of stuff where I think that was surprising to other people. So it wasn't, it wasn't totally (laughs) shocking to me (laughs) like that people from other teams also thought that like, maybe I might be so that I might be in the top five, Mm -hmm. but like there were two women from Georgia and Georgia was like winning nationals at that time. And amazing two women from Georgia who were also nominated. And I, they were amazing. And I just assumed one of them was going to win. So when they called my name, I was like, what? And I just started crying because <laughs> it didn't, yeah, it seemed, it was a little bizarre. And then there was a lot, there were a lot of festivities that took place very quickly after that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, and it was, I mean, also the Bucknell captain who I'm super embarrassed to say that I can't remember her name. I can picture her face perfectly, but, um, she was also in those five and it felt, I think like a celebration for both of our teams when I won. Cause it was like, yeah, like small school, you know, it was like a Hoosiers moment. Hell like, yeah. Let's do it for all the small yeah. schools. <laughs> the, the Metro East placed two finalists. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who knew this proud legacy existed for this? For I this wish reason. that I could remember what her name is. She's, she was wonderful. She is like, she was short blonde and, uh, I have a picture somewhere, like the the news newspaper clipping. There's a picture of us all together. Well, if you want, you can send it to us, and we'll try to do a like. Have you seen this missing person? I thing, will do that, and we'll <laughs> see if we can identify her. I have some of my uh, some of my Bucknell uh, folks. I'm still in touch with, so I'll find out. You mentioned the festivities after the award ceremony. You know, my first college ultimate tournament. It was a tournament in Maryland. It was hosted by Salisbury. It was called Atlantis. And that's the first time I'd been to a a college ultimate party. And it was the first time also, very fittingly, I saw a land shark. That happened. Yeah. (laughs) uh, A little birdie told me to to ask you if you've ever seen a porpoise or a land shark before. Uh, Yes, I've participated. (laughs) (laughs) When I won the Callahan, and yes. I've, I've, I've seen several. <laughs> That's what I meant when I said festivities. <laughs> Upon winning. So hopefully, could you imagine if that happened now on ESPN <laughs> on semis? Lepler, like Lepler. <laughs> well, and okay. Matt Gucho Hannes uh, participating <laughs> in the ceremonial land shark. Now that he is. The Nardis is holding the disc. You always have to have the person holding the disc. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I think it's 
one of the saddest things we've lost over these last well, I don't know, 15 years since I've been playing is <laughs> I think the last I held someone in a land shark at Fool's Fest in 2011. And that's the last one. It's, that was 10 years ago. It's been. Yeah. Scientists are concerned because fewer and fewer getting spotted <laughs> in the wild every year. I haven't seen one in the wild since 2013. Fall of 2013. Was the it's last like the thylacine, you right? know, yeah. it's the, it's the, we're going to have to Tasmanian tag and track them. Uh, I do think that's like, it's interesting because I kind of like came up into a world of ultimate that was like rapidly expanding Right. Like when I went to high school, we were, we had to drive to Massachusetts. I grew up in New York. I had to drive, we had to drive to Massachusetts and DC to play other high school teams. Like there weren't high school teams down the road for us to play. Mm-hmm. And then I got to college and women's college ultimate was like growing super fast. And then I played a bunch of club. And then as I sort of stopped playing ultimate, it started becoming like more and more and more official. And there's a lot of huge benefits to that. And it's just, it's making it much more accessible to folks and it's great, but it also, it does feel like it, there's a little something lost, which I think is maybe symbolized by the, <laughs> <laughs> the decrease, the sharp decrease in the number of land sharks and porpoises seen. <laughs> we should make it, we should do a video PSA. where we, we play a PSA, right? Where we do the like, um, what is it? It's like the Sarah McLachlan song that they put yeah, on the yeah. like, I will remember. <laughs> and it's just black and white photos of land sharks. And it's just na, na, like na, na, the land shark numbers have precipitously <laughs> dropped off. As Hi, I'm Bradley Cooper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we have like the celebrity endorsement. For right. <laughs> well, Lindsay, you are a, a tremendous ambassador for the Metro East. I'm wondering, recently a list came out on UltiWorld about alumni teams formed from the region, you know, who would be the best. And the Metro East, you know, there's some blowback, as there always is anytime the Metro East is in the spotlight in any way. <laughs> what, what would you say to a, a young Metro East player, you know, a freshman or a sophomore who's kind of bummed and, and wondering about the future and, and what they can do how they can have an impact on the region, getting some respect and getting some, some clout. I think I would say that you can make anything happen. I'm back to the the Hoosiers thing. Like if we think of the Metro East as being like the small school, like you can make it happen with not that much going on. Like I do think a lot of what happened at Swarthmore was because I walked in and I was like, well, this is bullshit. We got to go to nationals. (laughs) Like, and I just wanted it. And I like other people got excited about it and we did it, you know, like, I think you can, you can make it happen if you get fired up enough about it and uh, you don't need fancy stuff. You don't need a coach and you can beat bigger, more powerful schools. I mean, we did that. So I would say get fired up, get a couple other people to get fired up and then just do it. Bring land sharks back. (laughs) Yes. That's what'll do it. (laughs) bring land sharks back. <laughs> and just don't like don't assume that you can't that you can't do things because other people before you haven't done them i want to play ultimate again i'm old retired and broken but and i want you to coach me if you were i want you to coach a team that i play for i'm ready to run through a fucking wall right now Got it. <laughs> i want to go back to school like rodney dangerfield i want to do it all again <laughs> uh. 
Lindsay, thanks so much for coming on the program. This was this was a real treat and very educational about uh, the history of the region from which we all sprung. Thanks so much. Congratulations, uh, you know, 20 years later on your Callahan <laughs> win. <laughs> and uh, best of luck to that uh, youth team you're coaching there. I'm sure yeah. they're going to be... Maybe some future Callahan winners coming up from that squad uh, under your we'll tutelage. So we'll see. Thanks for having me. This was super fun to rethink and relive things that were a really important, beautiful part of my life. I really appreciated getting to talk about it. It's Sin the Field. Hello, welcome to Sin the Fields. Joining me on the program this week, coming back to the show, Frank Sarbones. Frank, thanks for coming back on the program. Hey, I'm happy to be here, man. We had a good time uh, with the memories of Wildwood and the whole bit. Uh, you had told me you were going to send me uh, a CD with the program on it from the last time. I was just wondering if you had gotten around to that. Oh, uh, yeah, I did. But you know, the I guess it's just, you know, the USPS is crazy right now, right? It's like the mail. Like, you know, you know no one knows what uh, what will happen. You put something in it. Yeah, you know, no, just... I, I I mean, they're they're trying to they're trying to screw the election up with this mail and voting. You know, I, I totally understand. We'll do it. And November 5th, you just drop it off at my mom's place. It's, we're good. All right. All right. Great. Well, uh, thanks for coming back. This is our, you know, our, our club national show, but you know, there's no club nationals this year. So we wanted to look back a little bit and we thought that Frank would have uh, some great stories from back in the day. Cause I know that you played at club nationals. Um, I guess when, when was that? I played in 94. Okay. I had to take a year off, not my choice in 95, but you spit in somebody's face uh, on university Northeast regionals. They make you take a year off in 95, 96, 97 and 99. So those are my big years. Okay. Okay. And then which, so 94, was that Plano? Was that in Texas? No, no, or was that? 94, it was in Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Bluegrass right. country. Okay. Uh -huh. So, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a moonshine drinker or anything like that. And I haven't been back to Kentucky since. So I'm just going to assume that my experience is, is like it is today, all these years later. Uh, <laughs> Richie Lepetti, he was a D line uh -huh. handler on our team. Right. He got into the moonshine pretty hard. He took it hard after we lost in semis. And, uh, mm. and when they got his stomach pumped, later in the night, Saturday night, they found a bunch of SpaghettiOs and a chunk of a novelty license plate from like a child's bicycle. Wait, what? Yeah, like, you know, like uh, you would get it at a uh, gift shop or something. Because I remember we were looking at it <laughs> and it said, I heart KY. And we <laughs> we thought that was very funny because you know, KY or whatever. As I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate the stuff a great deal. But anyway, they pumped Richie's stomach. Oh, because Kentucky. Right. Because it was Kentucky. Oh, okay, right. Right, right. but like got Lou. It, got, it, got it, Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> flavored, unflavored, warming action, cooling action. I don't know why you'd ever want it. I'm getting a little, uh, I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but uh, yeah, Richie, he swallowed a decent-sized chunk of one of those license plates, man. And that's uh, that's Lexington in a nutshell. That's everyday stuff down there. I mean, that's thoroughbred country. I mean, thoroughbred in every sense of the word. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I you wouldn't think of Lexington, you know, in this day and age as being a place to put nationals. Uh, you know, you think of it, it's like, oh, it's San Diego, it's Sarasota, 
Uh, although I guess like, you know, wh- where the fuck is Frisco? Frisco's like probably smaller than Lexington. So I guess uh, I think it's probably made sense at the time. So tell me about that tournament. Who, who were you playing with? At the time, there was a rift locally. So I was I went up to Turnpike and I played with Cojones that year. And we were the only team with the balls to call ourselves Cojones. That was a big rally. Cojones. Yeah, that was a big rallying cry that year. Like, they don't got the balls. They don't have the stones. Cojones. So this is a New York team. This is right after New York, New York. Okay, so we're talking. We still had Kenny Dobbins. Fucking Cribber was on the team. Nikki, Tickle Tip, Fontaine. I mean, we were legit. This is some top-tier mm-hmm. talent. Yeah, they were a little on the older side, but uh, took second in the Northeast that year, okay? I was part of a crew of young Jersey guys who drove up on weekends, just wrapping up, you know, three and a half years at Mercer Community College. I didn't finish, you know, but colleges, you know, as we come to find out, is about learning about yourself, about your body, and blowing 10 grand. So I just had wrapped up there. And we were the young guns on the team. I mean, we were just young dudes playing with a bunch of old school New York cokehead vets. <laughs> it wasn't always pretty. I'm here to tell you that. I mean, these guys, they, you know, they'd been winning titles since Reagan was in office. Rest in peace, double R. That was my guy. And, you know, they were pretty set in their ways. I mean, we were just young hot shots. Weren't going to take shit from anybody, man. I mean, we, it was me, Chris Jones, Valakis. And we'd all come over from graffiti and we could fucking rip, dude. You know, we had a good year that year, made semis, lost to those dog jerk offs, but what else is new, man? So what was your what was your game like? My game or the semifinal game? My game was elite. No, your game. Like, yeah. How how were you playing? What was your and you know, you said you're this young gun, you're stepping up on the team, you're playing with some of these older guys who are probably, you know, maybe maybe I'm not gonna say they're more disciplined, but like they probably have like a way of playing. But like what were you playing like back then? What was a young stud doing in nineteen ninety four? Uh, myself, I was uh, getting scratch on O-line. I mean, I was an O-line starter. And I told Kriber to go fuck himself that he'd never amount to anything. I had clam baked that year, so I got my chops busted back down to D-line. Mm. And I'm playing like every third D-point. And the reason was because I told Kriber to go fuck himself. So purely personal. Purely factual. Right. Oh, okay. What's the guy done? He made him, oh, yeah, oh, I, I, Alec Baldwin, I hooked up with your sister 20 years ago. Please narrate my movie. Oh. Wait, is that true? It's, Did he hook up? I know, I mean, I know the Baldwins were like from Long Island. No, I, well, look, I, I, it's not my place to come on your radio program and spread rumors, so I'm not going to do that. That would be wrong. It, look, the semifinal game, epic game, us and dog. We lost 1917, which, remember, you used to play the games to 19 back in the day. We didn't need breaks. There was no, you know, heat exhaustion. It's, it's, heat exhaustion was the CTE of that era. It was a liberal myth populated by cowards. I went to Mercer Community College. Uh-huh. Okay. I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't go to Oberlin. I didn't believe in heat exhaustion or reading days. We didn't need that stuff back then. But that, you know, it was a different time. Look at it now. I mean, playing the 15 is a joke. You play the national final in a game to 15. That's why none of the none of the current teams, this is what people don't understand, Patrick. They couldn't hang with the teams in the mid-90s. They don't have the stamina. Really? Oh, Jimmy Dickhole. Oh, Declan Peachild. Oh, oh, a game to 19. What'll I do? You're already taking every other point off. 
You play O-line only. Wow. Pathetic. That's quite a claim. That's quite a claim. I just, you know, I, just, I have to say that. that you know, you're, you're making a claim there. It gets hot in Lexington, too. I'll tell you what. <laughs> and uh, it feels even hotter when you've been up doing whippets all Friday night. <laughs> feels way hot. Feels were way. People really doing stuff like that back then, or is that just like we're 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 imagining it? That like was, people were actually like doing whippets at nationals. That was a real. I mean, how do you think we got the blow down there? It's you know back then. I mean, this is pre nine eleven air travel, and we had a guy, Ray Fisk, on the team. He insisted we're gonna you know we're gonna we were gonna get the coke down there. We were gonna get it down there. He insisted on keistering it. Did not have to do that at all. Was not going to be an issue, but he insisted on it. Just like you think it was like one of those things where like you get really fired up for it's nationals. Like I'm going to I'm going to put it all on the line for the team. I'm going to like I'm just going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to contribute. And it's like, was he like a sideline guy? I'm going to guess he was sort of like a big sideline energy guy. Like I'm going to find any way I can to contribute to the team, even if it's not on the field. Right. Even if that's offering people key bumps from cocaine that was previously stashed in my ass. I mean, I know we're not that far removed from, you know, mixtape having doing weed brownies and stuff after semis. So I guess it's like it's not beyond their own possibility. But I have to say, it's like it's, it's a little shocking to hear about that much drug use at nationals. That was a real thing. I mean, I, I don't want look. I, I don't want to oversell. I, I certainly don't want to glorify that kind of behavior. I mean, if, if my PO and I, if we weren't tight, it wouldn't work. You know what I mean? Like we have a good relationship. We have a good working relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh he is my ex's brother, so that is also very helpful. But you know, I don't want you keep know, it in keep it in the family. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what you got to be. All right, so we go down the dog in semis, and you know, for a young guy like me, I'm thinking semis. We made it. We're gonna make it every year, and that's just that's not the right way to think about it as a young player. You know what I mean? You got to be pushing yourself. You got to be on your details. You got to grind. You got to tell Cribber you think he's great, even though he's not, and fuck him. So we make semis. That puts us ahead of Ring of Fire. We're ahead of Miami refugees. And most importantly, we're ahead of fucking Cornell. You know, people forget Cornell, they were sent a team to. Wait, is a team called Cornell? No, no, this is Cornell University or University of Cornell, or, you know, my dad owns a dealership you know, whatever. School. They were at club natties. They would go to college nationals and club nationals. That was very common for them. They put together quite a quite a stretch of doing that for a while. Really? Yeah. Just a truly miserable bunch of pricks to be around. Like I try to, I live my life by code. Some sense of what's right, a sense of what's wrong, a sense of what people deserve when they wrong you. It's about respect. Uh -huh. We've talked about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Respect's all, very important. Respect, that's what spirit of the game is. Not a lot of people know that. But man, those pricks, those Cornell bastards, I mean, if you were looking for a silver lining, it's that you could watch them lose in college nationals and then you could watch them lose at club nationals. <laughs> you could watch them go down twice in the same year. So <laughs> there was that. I, I mean, it just sounds like a totally different landscape. Uh, than, than what we're seeing right now. So, like, w w what else do you think are, like, big differences that someone who's uh, following Ultimate in 2020, familiar with what Club Natties looks like now, uh, would not have recognized about Natties in 1994? A couple things. I mean, you know, uh, there were only 12 teams 
in the men's division and there were 12 teams in the women's division. And there was no mixed division. So you treated everybody like an equal. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so I mean that right off the jump, that's that was a big thing. The other big difference, we didn't have Alti Village. Okay, we didn't have oh. Frisbee World and Layout Magazine. We didn't have all these publications that you could just turn to for instant knowledge of what happened four weeks ago. You know what I'm saying? It was totally different. You get a couple local news people to come out in Kentucky and be like, hey, before we get back to having sex with my sister, here's a sport where people throw plastic around. Yeehaw! Oh, you did really good voice work there, Frank. I just want to say that. Mm. I, uh, well, I appreciate you saying that, Patrick. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but, you know, they come and do and they this, this is still a thing. They come, they show up, they laboriously drag the rules of the game out of the most cheerful, annoyingly so asshole on your team. It's just a fucking disaster. So they did a couple of those, which was nice, but a lot of the footage is unusable because Glenn Fisk was in the background you know, writing his name and powder and making it disappear. I, I really hope that footage exists somewhere in like a back room in a news station in Kentucky. Someone's going through old tapes like, oh, what do we got here? And they just is it like so there was just open, open drug use. It was. Uh, it was not hidden. <laughs> open is a strong word. You know, it's about making the effort. It's like I could do it here. I could go behind a bush. You can kind of see through the bush, but if you don't look too hard, you know, it's fine. That sort of thing. It's like it's like urinating in public. It's the same kind of idea. Okay. It's okay. about making the just the smallest possible effort. <laughs> I it just really does seem like it was a very different time back then. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember, I mean, things weren't as tightly regulated because it was the UPA. It wasn't big Uncle Sam die for Tom Crawford ultimate Okay, this was the ultimate players association. It was about what the players wanted back then. Uh huh. Sometimes what the players wanted to do was name their team things like the Refugees or Cojones or do blow on the sideline off a cooler full of bush light. But that didn't stop us from competing at the top of our games. You have to understand because, frankly, we weren't coddled babies, you know, like some of the guys i see out there now wow i mean i especially right now in a year where there's like no ultimate being played and just thinking about like oh all the past nationals and everything there's just not a lot of footage there's not a lot of history on this period so i'm, I'm really glad you were able to come by the show and uh and enlighten us a little about about what it was like um because i just don't think that we understand enough about the history of the game right now because like you said there wasn't a lot of with a lot of media coverage back then. So we don't have the same kind of knowledge about what it was like. Well, hey, you know what, man? Anything I can do to uh, to provide perspective, you know? And for me, Patrick, you seem like a young man, but also I'm talking to you from the phone behind the bar at Zookies. So I really, I can't see your face, but you have a youthful quality about your voice, which I really appreciate. It takes me back. You know, I, I never made semis again. 
I was mm. never able to get back there. So once you're there, you know, breathe it in and know that this is not an automatic thing. You can't just be a little boy from Mercer living out his dream of going to semis nine years in a row. And right. It, it doesn't it, it doesn't work like that. Well, I think that's that's an important message, uh, you know, particularly right now, I think, for everybody to hear, like, really en- enjoy enjoy the time you get out there playing because no one's playing right now. Nobody's making semis this year. Things happen. So really enjoy it. You know, whenever people are back out there playing, make sure make sure you savor that moment because uh, you never know where you're gonna, when you're going to have it again. But thanks. Thanks for the clarity and the insight, Frank. Well, no problem, young man. Uh, you know what, man? I, I think personally people will be playing again probably November 6th when the Dems, they shut this whole thing off. That's just me. Could be as late as November the 8th from what I'm hearing. Thanks so much for having me on this uh, radio show program again. And you know who has the balls? Cojones. All right, that was Frank Sarbones from Cojones, semifinalist in 1994. It's Sin the Fields. Welcome back to Sin the Fields. Joining us, it's amazing we got him on in the first place. It's even more amazing he's come back for round two. Uh, <laughs> a very real media personality, an actual audio journalist from 538 and ESPN's 30 for 30 podcast series, Jody Avergan. Uh, thanks for having me back. You know, my bosses at ESPN told me to do promotion for the new season, and this was top of the list. Uh, every, uh, you know, corporate just said, you got to go on this show. So here I am. And that's coming from like Iger, right? All the way up at Disney. Oh, yeah. Like, the, oh, yeah. Directly. Like, we got to. I, yeah, yeah, I think him and yeah, Jim Those Darren's meetings right. happen in that secret uh, restaurant at Disney World that only like six people get to go to. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is like a, a pretty huge publicity tour stop for a lot of people. Like mm-hmm. Next week, we've got uh, Andrew Dice Clay will be on, you know, so like it's just like really that upper crust. Well, you're on the rehab circuit, you know, when people need to get their reputation back. <laughs> they know that they'll get a, a, a soft, you know, a soft landing with you guys. So, I mean, you have the opportunity here to interview, to produce with some really, really incredibly famous people. So even in this first episode, like you listed off. LeBron James, Gabrielle Union. Were there any people that sort of surprised you that they weren't uh, sort of what you thought their image portrayed them as, their public image, or people that you were kind of like, oh, wow, it's really neat that this person responded to the interview in this way? Mm-hmm. So, well, with this story in particular, I mean, the one thing I really kind of learned was that that Heat team, that 2012 Heat team, which, you know, I was thought of as like cynically put together with like a bunch of, with three huge superstars. They actually really were incredibly close and tight knit, which I think is what led them to be able to kind of like get to the point where they would take this this stand, this political stand, um, because they were all very tight. And I and I just liked over the course of the conversation sort of getting to know that. Uh, and then specifically to your question, what I realized was that Udonis Haslam, who's in the piece, really was like the heart and soul of that team. And so like I talked when we interviewed Dwayne Wade and we interviewed LeBron James we were like who else should we talk to and both of them were like you got to talk to UD he was like you know he's the guy and he's people in Miami I think know that he's like Mr. Miami he's 
played his whole career there. He's from Miami. But that was just kind of a nice glimpse into the team dynamics of that. Um, you know, the other thing was just that I thought Dwayne Wade was just so thoughtful and like really impressive. Um, and I just kind of really love his presence in the piece. And there's that one Udonis Haslam in every big ultimate community, right? Like that one guy is like, yeah. you know, he's he's been on the elite club team for 10 years, but no one's ever really seen him play. You're wondering, like, why is this guy even still on the team? Uh-huh. And it's because he's that, you know, that I guess wouldn't be a locker room because we're not not quite <laughs> at having locker rooms yet. But uh, no, I that, mean, it's like the, it's like leader. the glue guy. It's the guy who does things that only people inside the locker room on the team notice. And then often like, I mean, this is a very ultimate thing, too, but it's like have one thing that you're really good at, you know, and, and so, you know, you're a good, and like, that's enough to build a pretty good career on. It's like, you're a good teammate and you do like a, like one, maybe two things really well. And like, you can carve, you can carve out some space for yourself there. Uh, I can think of like 10 guys doing what you're talking right now. Like the, uh, the 34, 35 year old guy that gets that break backhand huck off against force flick every time gets like two touches a game goes one for two on hucks one of them's a break changes the fucking whole face yeah. of the game yeah the problem is that pittsburgh ultimate only has people like that and so it's never <laughs> to break through uh, speaking of uh sort of celebrities and famous people you've uh, been able to interact mm-hmm. with so uh before so the, the the first episode of the new series is the uh hoodies up miami heat episode but uh, in conjunction with the visual 30 for 30, the Ric Flair oh, documentary yeah. came out, you had the opportunity to interview Rick. Uh, and I don't know if you know, but Ric Flair goes a long way with the host of this podcast. Uh, so I don't know if you, if you just give us just quick impressions of just what was it like talking to Ric Flair? So I talked to Ric Flair um, actually over, uh, not like over a, ISDN, so I wasn't in a in a room with him, um, but it was. I mean, he's a really interesting character. Certainly now in his old age, where he's like a little reflective. But I was, you know, I'm like I come from public radio. Like I'm gonna try and be all sort of like overthink this and so forth. So I was trying to like you know get him to engage and be reflective and think about the uh, you know the sort of his waning days. He's had a lot of health scares lately, and it was just this. It was one of the stranger interviews I've ever done because he had this weird like just flipping back and forth between like oh you're like kind of a thoughtful reflective person at this sort of twilight of your you know kind of existence or whatever but then you're also like just a second later you're like right back in it and you're this character this completely over the top character and i just felt i mean the interview was actually i mean we edited it and i think it sounded okay the interview got off to like what i thought was like a kind of rocky start because i just felt like we were like totally out of sync in terms of like which role he was going to be playing at any given moment. So I was asking him like, you know, like personal questions and he was like in Ric Flair mode. And then I would ask him like silly wrestling questions and he was like trying to be reflective. And then we finally kind of like got it. And and that's kind of why I don't, I mean, it's tough to do interviews when you're just not in a room with someone. I mean, that's part of it as well. Well, the thing about him, I mean, I think the thesis of the film, and I think it's true, is that there was no daylight between Ric Flair the person and Ric Flair the personality. Like, almost every other wrestler at some level knows that there's room there and has sort of, like, cultivated the real side of themselves, probably for good reason, which is, you know, at some point, eventually, like, 
your wrestling side is going to end. Your career is going to end and you need something, another life, another personality, another existence to kind of like go to. And I don't think Ric Flair had that. And, you know, that's why it was really tough for him to leave and really rocky when he, when he kind of was forced to. So, you know, Jody, uh, Mm -hmm. I also have spoken with Ric Flair. Is that right? Over the phone. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was in a bar in Pittsburgh when I used to work for 970 ESPN and uh, I was like tearing down from a remote, you know, I'm like a shit heel production assistant. So I'm like hastily jamming like a tablecloth into like the equipment bag. And uh, this guy comes up to me, you know, the total Yinzers, classic Pittsburgh people. It's at a bar, you know, it's like 920 on a Wednesday night. And this guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, let me ask you a question, bud. Who do you think would win in a fight? Brock Lesnar or James Harrison? And I'm like, Brock Lesnar, he fucking is an MMA fighter and James Harrison. I don't think he could stop James Harrison at left tackle, but I think he would win in a fight. And the guy's like, hey, thank you. Thank you. And he calls his buddies over and half his buddies are like, fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. So we start ordering some beers and we're hanging out. The guy's buddy's like, yeah, man, the last time I was that drunk, I called Ric Flair. And I'm like, how'd you call Ric Flair? Like, we got his number. I'm like, how do you have Flair's number? (laughs) They go through this long thing about... uh, the one guy was in a strip club in Las Vegas at a bachelor party, and he gave a stripper uh, $100. He's like, will you go get that guy's phone number over there? Just go start dancing with him, get his phone number. So it's he's like, and it, here he was, a nature boy himself, and I'm about to get his phone number. So the girl comes back, and he like Googles the, uh, the area code, and he's like, it was North Carolina. I knew he was from North Carolina. So these guys give me Ric Flair's phone number. And uh, the first time I called it, I was at a B-team and developmental uh, ultimate tournament called Chili Dog Classic which I mm. went to as like a 27-year-old man because um, that was appropriate. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> your standard thing. <laughs> so I call Flair. So it's like the first time we're ever calling Flair. It's 1.30. We're in a Taco Bell drive-thru. I'm like 10 guys in a van. And uh, Flair is notoriously friends with Mark Madden, who's the uh, drive-time DJ um, in Pittsburgh. So he must have seen the 412. And Flair just answers the phone. He's like, oh, brother, Mark Madden, don't even ask me to be on your show tomorrow. And all I could muster was, woo! And Flair goes, woo! <laughs> and wherever he was, he was in a crowded bar. I mean, he he took the time to answer yeah. the phone. He's screaming woo. And then very quickly, he realized I wasn't Mark Madden. And uh, he told me uh, I would be in handcuffs by this time tomorrow. Really? Yeah, he's like, you'll be in handcuffs by this time tomorrow. You ever call this number again, I will Ric Flair slam your ass. Which actually, like, if you're trying to get someone to not call you anymore, like, saying things like that is, like, the most enticing thing to say. Mm-hmm. Like, well, who knows what he'll say? Like, he might put me in a figure four. He might say that. It is amazing that he just wooed right back at you. But that's the thing. You know, you're talking about it's just it, he's become it's the woo. There. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ingrained. Wait, in that story, what was the amount of time that you held on to Ric Flair's phone number before you decided to call it? About two weeks. Wow. That's impressive weeks. restraint. It had to, well, you know, I, I, had, I was like, I was around a crew of, of, uh, of some of my closest friends. So you want witnesses when you're about to call Flair because they're, uh-huh. you know, bull fucking shit. You don't have Flair's number, you liar. Just like I said to those guys at that bar. But mm. it was Flair's number, all right. So the lesson for those of you at home, and especially the high school 
kids that are our predominant demographic. Uh, hang out with random weirdos at bars because you just might be able to call old celebrities and have them threaten you over the phone. I'm also going to read Pat's number right now. Um, and if anyone wants to <laughs> call it. Can't help but notice you weren't able to snake any ultimate stories into there i guess is that it's not quite uh, moving the needle yet enough for ESPN. It's not, it's not really bringing in the big bucks for espn yet we're still on what ultimate still on the third fourth fifth uh mm. channel of espn we'll get there it was um, on espn too this summer oh yeah that was proper ESPN <laughs> on actual television um no uh no, none yet uh i'm saving that in my pocket we'll see um I, but i haven't found the perfect story yet you know oh no any ideas you're kicking around or Ultimate? I don't know. I mean, I, I just I, maybe I haven't had time to just kind of like sit down and, and sort of really sort of dig into some ideas. Well, I think this might be. Wow. Cool. I can't believe what, how, what fortuitous timing. This might be <laughs> uh, the perfect time to throw some around. You know, I, I've thought about this long and hard. Is that um, right? I don't know how fact based this is, but the, the first one that came to my mind, Steve Dunn. You're, you're pitching me some 30 for 30s now? Yeah, I, I'm just gonna I'm just okay. gonna throw some out okay. at you. So, so sorry, some ground rules. Every pitch has to start with "What if I told you?" <laughs> if you have a if you have a if you have a somber piano in the background, that would be helpful. All right, let me let me see if I can bring that up here. Okay, all right. Uh, what if I told you that USAU's in-game announcer was more than just a guy with a deep voice? I, I really I wish That's I was more prepared. Pitch. No, no, hold on. Okay, <laughs> all right. Steve Dunn is the in-game announcer, the guy with the deep voice who calls games at USAU national events. In case people out there don't know who he is, because like if if you go to like a championship level event or like a high club event, there's a guy named Steve Dunn who's at the showcase field who's semi-announcing the games, and he's just the ubiquitous part of the Ultimate community, but no one has any idea kind of how he got his job, what his story is. But it's, it's just, only like, it, in in games? Like, he's not one of these, like, rotating cast of people they keep pairing with Lepler. No. no he's who, like, he's not in the out. booth. He's not in the field. He's not, not, like, he's not like, like at the, the field. Right. He's, he's like a dude guy. with a microphone in the field, so he'll just be like, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second round game between Boston Brute Squad mm-hmm. and San Francisco Fury. Should be a firecracker. Take your seats. <laughs> and then every busy. once in a while, he'll just be like, What a slick grab from OP. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to like kill time while like everyone's trying to figure out whether it was a travel call or like if the disc is going to go yeah. back or whatever. Yeah. Kind of, well, he yeah. kind of you know he, he kind of like uses, but there's like a uh, when your teacher catches you doing something fucked up but they can't prove it, so there's like like a bad call of some kind. He's like, and it looks like there's some kind of call. <laughs> mm-hmm. Looking at you, mm-hmm. but it's his thirty for thirty. Okay. And, but it basically, regardless of whether it's true or not, just follows the three dog night Chuck Negron story where Chuck Negron was so coked out and had so much sex that his penis exploded. Mm-hmm. So it just, and then it ends. So it's like, it could, this could even be like a 12 minute Okay. Uh, All right. Any other about, Yeah. How about this? So, um, what if I told you? Mm-hmm. The worst shot of tequila you took was on the field. How about something about the 
what, what like there's some crazy like 1994 tequila sponsored league that's like on the periphery mm. of ultimate knowledge that I've I don't even know that much about, but I know that there was like like someone roped a tequila company into it was Jose like, Cuervo. Yeah, Cuervo. It was Cuervo. I was I was like the I'm I think I'm like the bridge generation where like the older players on like in the club circuit when I first started playing like. One or two of them would have like a fate, like faded shorts with like a Jose Cuervo logo on it, and you're like, "What is going on there?" But I actually, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the the full story, but I think they like sponsored. I, I mean, they cut a deal with the UPA. I think it was like a legit, like they were sponsoring nationals. I don't think it was like their own circuit, but maybe that's wrong. There was like it's a, a two point line and some crazy shit like that. Right. So you get you get these like dramatic scenes where they like go to Boulder and they like come in and they like bring a case of tequila and they're like, we're just going to win these hippies over. And, you know, you get this real clash of values. I know. I mean, this is good. We've got some themes here. Like they're, they're can... pitching advertising for it. And it's yeah. just like, all right, yeah. you got your two bikini babes here. And they're, you know, like that. Kind of... <laughs> but it is it is it is interesting that like and, you know, maybe this is one of the themes you could explore in the piece. But like Ultimate has had these moments where like it like breaks through and then it always manages to like somehow retreat back. I mean, one of my, so Steve Mooney, who's like legendary Boston dog player, he went to uh, the same college that I went to and was kind of like the patron saint of our program. But he uh, came back to, uh, to we, he and I did a presentation about ultimate at like a, an alumni event at our college. This is not a scene in 30 for 30 for what it's worth. Cause this is incredibly <laughs> boring. Uh, but he had this amazing moment where he like started the presentation and he shows a photo and he's like, this is 1982 or something at the Rose Bowl, ultimate being played. And I think you guys know this, you know, it's like been yeah, in some yeah. docs and stuff. He's like, look at this photo, 40,000 people watching ultimate Frisbee. He's like, cut to last year, you know, 30 years later, here's the stand, the grandstand at the finals at the national championships. And it's like four, like hungover people from like some mixed team, like in the stands by themselves. <laughs> and it's just like, and I'm like stand, sitting there. We're at this, I'm like, we're trying to sell Ultimate here, Steve. Like, we're trying to get <laughs> progress. And you're just shown that like the net, you know, the net, the net uh, attendance at a venue is like minus, you know, twenty nine thousand nine hundred forty five over the course of thirty years. <laughs> but it is, it is true. Ultimate has had these kind of like big moments. Um, and then for some reason, I mean, I obviously the progress is, you know, is it's up and up and up. But like. The biggest event in the history of Ultimate was 30 years ago. It's like not even close, right? Okay, Jody. So let's say that you were going to make uh, a 30 for 30 somewhere in the realm of Ultimate. Where would you make it? Okay. What, what's going to bring these people so, in? Look, so, look, I actually have, have thought about this. I mean, what else am I going to do with my time? Um, so, so, look, I think mike g deserves a 30 for 30 i mean come on there's a lot to be said there um so i mean you could just pick him as one of our sort of like most cherished characters and really tell a long story and i mean frankly uncw ultimate in general i think is just like really fascinating um and just like relevant to today so that's one i mean i am fascinated by florida ultimate in the like early <laughs> when was it like late 2000s early 2010s and the sort of like yeah. Brody, Brody Kurt era that one is is like is ripe well I think yeah we all know we all know what the story would be for that one do we I think I think so right <laughs> I mean everyone here surely everyone listening I'm sure uh was on RSD back in like 2008 
or well, whatever. Look, the, uh, thing about, the thing about that is that it has, I mean, it genuinely has like as a great story and a great sort of like element of our community and potentially something that would, that would, could be told if we were just like, you know, actually sort of big time um, is that like, there are, kind of like remarkable personalities. I mean, like Brody Smith is a fascinating, complicated, I'm trying to use all sorts of nice words here, fascinating, complicated <laughs> personality, um, you know, who has like a sort of like big presence in the community and is like sort of, I think, reveals a lot of the sort of interesting parts of our world. Um, and obviously Kurt. Uh, and then the style of Ultimate that like those Florida teams played, I think, just like expose a lot of the sort of like most interesting parts of our sport and our community. And then there's this like very murky, very weird, very salacious thing about their coach and some shady financial dealings, which, you know, every good story needs a little, every good story needs like a casino uh, scene. Yeah, like, I a, guess. like a riverboat casino in Biloxi, Mississippi, uh, in which Kyle Van Auken allegedly acts out the last like 20 minutes of rounders. If you say allegedly, it just basically gives you a free pass for an entire podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> but no, I agree. I think it's like not to be too earnest here, but like when we talk about 30 for 30 ideas, like this whole like inflection point that like maybe people didn't realize at the time is like a big trope for 30 for 30. So picking a moment where like, oh, now looking back on it, you realize that like things really changed in the way that you described is really interesting. But also like worth noting, Carlton like got totally dragged into the muck during that game and did not behave very admirably either, which I think is a big part of it that like when you have a sport that's built on kind of like mutual, you know, understanding that like when that works, you know, it elevates both teams. And when it doesn't, it's like inevitably going to drag both down. And I don't think Carlton has anything to sort of like hold their heads up high about, you know, their behavior in that game either. Yeah. So I, th- I think this is right for it. And speaking of inflection points, so just just to just sort of on the same page with you, would you say that there was this inflection point for the Florida players around like whatever 2007, 2008, when they like decided to give all their dues to one guy? They think at the time, like, yeah, this is a totally reasonable thing to do with my money, not quite realizing the impact that that that, that would have. Yeah, and I mean, clearly, you know, College Ultimate has learned a lot about uh, trusting a coach, you know, and no, there have been no recent incidences where, you know, a coach has behaved <laughs> in a way um, that would betray a bunch of 19-year-olds' trust. Um, so, yeah, clearly an inflection point, a moment where we learned a lot of lessons and we moved on and everything is, you know, much more on the up and up. Send the Fields is brought to you by Be Ultimate Apparel. Club captains claim your free Be Ultimate jersey, just pay shipping. Be Ultimate wants to give each club captain a firsthand experience of what it's like to work with them. From their performance-focused products to their clear timelines to their outstanding customer service, we here at Send the Fields think you'll be in good hands. Tell your club team captains to visit BeUltimate.com, that's B-E-Ultimate.com, to claim your free jersey. You know, we're in the, the phase of the season now where we've got our B order all in. We've got our jerseys to everybody. Uh, but it's still kind of a pain in the ass to, like, get everybody all their stuff. You know, there's like the, like, oh, I ordered these extra sweatpants and I got these socks and stuff like that. And like, oh, they didn't come to a practice when the boxes were there. And now, you know, it's like just sitting in my house and uh, my apartment is not large. So uh, having those extra boxes is a little bit of an imposition. 
So I was able to get them all to practice on Wednesday night this week. And we get there. It's like an 830 to 11 practice on Randall's Island, New York. And we get about half an hour in and then just torrential downpour. Sky opens up. Shit goes crazy. And I'm thinking, oh, no, all the bee stuff get rained on. All the sweatpants, socks, hats. My apartment's going to smell like just low tide down at the pier. Uh, as the stuff just festers and mildews there. I'll tell you what, still smells great. Totally held up, dried quickly. My apartment smells as totally, I guess, fine as it did before. So if that's the endorsement you're looking for, purchase some B items. There it is. <laughs> we are with STF All-Star, Kristen Pajunas. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for uh, being our guide for us and all of our listeners to the wonderful world of delights that is awaiting everyone in San Diego. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited for everyone to be out here. Kristen, first things first, a lot of times you travel for Ultimate, and you're like, I'm going to Chicago this weekend, but you're not going to Chicago. You're going to a dog shit suburb of Chicago. Is this San Diego? Are we going to San Diego? You are going to San Diego. The thing is, is you're going about 40 minutes north of downtown. But I feel like normally tournaments are in like the shittier part of the city. Right. Del Mar is actually super bougie. Um, the fields we're playing on, part of the reason why the bid fee is so expensive is because this is a polo club. And Del Mar is the place that I pick a restaurant when my parents are taking me out for like my birthday dinner. <laughs> So, yeah, instead of staying at, like, a Motel 8, you're going to be trying to find something a little bit cheaper than, like, a Hilton there. So the financially prudent move might be to try to, like, Airbnb, like, a servant's quarters somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny sometimes, like, with the, how nice the bus stops are there. And you're like, mm, this isn't for the residents. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, get an Airbnb and then get an Airbnb south. Don't go north of Del Mar. There's a lot less action up there. Well, speaking of action, mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of action are we talking about here? So San Diego's fun. There's a lot of really cool neighborhoods. My personal favorites are a little bit further south. North Park is kind of where the young hipper folks hang out. But there's also Pacific Beach. If like one of the college kids on your team is really bummed they're missing a frat party on Friday night, you can hit up there and get the same vibe. <laughs> Sometimes I, I sit at home at night and I just I miss that vibe. It's <laughs> hard to get that vibe at 32. Yeah, and you just want that cheaper beer, louder noise, mm. more sweaty shirtless people, then mm. you can get that at PB. Every surface is sticky in a way that you feel really uncomfortable with. Yeah, and not like your own sticky, someone else's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not, not my own sticky. Great. Great. Uh, well, this is off to a good start. Uh, <laughs> so those are some like cool neighborhoods to go to. Is there anything like right near the field complex in Del Mar? You said it was kind of classy. So does that mean like if you're trying to drink near the fields, it can be pretty pricey? Or is there anything kind of divey up there that might be a good spot for a bunch of degenerate Frisbee weirdos to check out? So there's not anything super divey, I'd say, up there. Like it is, it is a nice place. But... Near there, there are a ton of like microbreweries or some bigger breweries. Ballast Point is not too far from there. 
And then also in the Solana Beach, there's a brewery called Pizza Port that has some pretty great food. So that's like if you're trying to stick close to the fields, there's nothing divey, but there are nice breweries with food that your team could probably get away with some shenanigans at. Is there a super nice place up near there that we should all go and fuck up? <laughs> like, is there some place that like threw you out and we need to like come back and pretty women them or something? Like I said, I'm like going up there with my parents. I don't think I've ever been like thrown out of a seafood restaurant at <laughs> 6 p.m. on a Sunday. But I don't know what your parents are like. <laughs> I don't know. Papa Pajunas gets a couple cocktails in him. And who knows? <laughs> no, my dad's drink of choice is uh, a single Smirnoff. So no, it's that's not. what no. it is. No. <laughs> I came home from college after like my first quarter and he and I had a game night and I wake up in the morning to a single or like a half empty Smirnoff in the fridge, save for later. And oh. I was like, oh my God. Whoa. It's like, dad, do you understand Zipping. that we chug those in 10 seconds? He's like, oh, I don't want to hear that. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. <laughs> wow. Ice, Kristen's dad. He'll be like, thank you very much. This is wonderful. What a wonderful gift. What a kind, generous community. You know, we, we have fun a lot with USAU, and it's easy to poke fun sometimes, but I'm a traditionalist in the sense that the most important ultimate event of the year is semifinals Saturday. And as such, proximity to alcohol that can be quickly purchased is paramount. Can you buy alcohol at a gas station in California? In Pennsylvania, it's terrible. Like they'd, they'd have to go to a million different places. It wouldn't just be at, at Walmart. What's the situation out there? Oh, yeah. So it's super easy. Um, our alcohol selling hours, I think, are super lax here. And that's something I'm always shocked by when I leave. But I think it's... You can buy from 6 a.m. until 2 a.m. every day. Dear but yeah, I unfortunately have been waiting at a grocery store with a six-pack to go watch a college fall tournament, waiting until 6 a.m. pass. So I definitely know it starts <laughs> at 6 a.m. We need a rowdy do you, semis. Do you, have a, do you have a conversation with the with the checkout clerk at that point when it's 5.58? Like, are they, do they, are they trying to like, hey, do you need help? Like, like are they trying to set you on a better path in life? No. So, um, I, you know, like set down my six pack and I go to pull out my ID and she goes, Oh, sweetie, if you're buying this at 6am, you've got bigger problems. than being <laughs> I was like, thank you. I do. <laughs> there are going to be some restaurants and some bars that have an online presence that they're appealing and for lack of a better word, good but what are some of the places that that's just a sham, places to avoid? So this one's not near the fields, but I do imagine there's going to be some teams that want to go out further downtown. I think the official tournament party is in Del Mar, but like I said, there's like not a lot of places where you can get into shenanigans or not be paying like 14 to $17 per drink. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. <laughs> like I said, like just not the Frisbee vibe. So they're downtown. If you look upon Yelp, like bar, there's this bar called Barley Mash that shows up. It's like five stars and is known for like, I think the ads are like bar and dancing. And so it seems like a really good option. It's right on Fifth Avenue. But there is always a cover. There's always a super long line. And then again, you get in there and there's like no room to dance because it's it's like a restaurant the rest of the time. So it's super crowded. And I feel like it's hyped up a lot. And it just, it's not the move. 
But the wild card is down the block. There's this place called McFadden's. It's 2.5 stars on Yelp. Okay. There's generally not a cover. And then they just play like bangers from 2005 to 2018. Fuck yeah. And yeah, so you get like some of the like throwback jams. There's a lot more room to dance. I've like talked my way into getting a security guard help me up onto the bar to dance there. <laughs> so <laughs> it has it has my like seal of approval. And this is this is McFadden's. McFadden's. Yes, McFadden's. It's in downtown. Again, don't let the 2.5 stars on Yelp scare you. Like, this is where your team, if you want to go downtown, that you can, like, get away with some stuff and have a ton of fun. Fuck. All right. You heard it. Sin the Fields people. McFadden's is the spot. Is there one, like, particular drink or thing that's, like, a very San Diego thing to do while we're there? Like, if 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 Nationals was in D.C., I would tell people, like, okay, there's this bar... You go to where they serve you liquor out of ketchup bottles, like they give you like a, like a squeezy ketchup bottle, like you have at a diner, and it's just like full of liquor, and then they give you a like a can of soda, and that's like how you go about your night. Is there is there like a San Diego thing that everyone should do while they're there? So there's two bars that are pretty fun. One is in downtown, and it's called Trailer Park After Dark, and they have literal trailers in like a basement bar where you can go in and sit. And then all of their drinks, like they have a bunch of like 40s that they serve in paper bags. And like the chairs are uh, shopping carts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a very unique place, but um, a ton of fun. And like the theming is done really well. And then over in the Pacific Beach area, I think it's a chain, but it's called Barrel Republic. And you can get like a wristband for 30 bucks. And you basically self-serve off of like 30 different beer taps throughout the restaurant. And so you can just go to town trying different beers until your like $30 wristband has uh, been all used up. It's like a pretty good way to spend and self-serve drinks are never a bad thing. Yeah, that's tremendous. Although when you get the $30 wristband, it's like when you go to Haas's Steak and Seafood and you're like, I have to eat $20 worth of shrimp. This is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is my only objective for the next hour. Well, I think we've been pointed in the right direction here. This is going to be uh, Super Fun Nationals. Kristen, before we let you go, we're kind of your sounding board. You're an STF all-star, and, and that means something, damn it. Is, um, is there anyone at Alti World or in the community at large or even the world that you'd like to uh, throw some shade on? Yeah, it's your own personal trash here. You get oh, to, you personal get to trash. It. Yeah, um, this one goes out to Daniel Prentice. Mm. Uh, mm. He did a little buy-sell trade and specifically called out um, the wildfire D-line D offense being not nearly good enough with our scoring chances and putting us at a very real danger of missing out on nationals. So, yeah, fuck you, Daniel. The only fuck one... you, Charlie. <laughs> Welcome back to Sin the Fields. Right now we're joined by a very special guest, Dr. David Geyer. He is an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist in South Carolina. Dr. Geyer, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Right now, there are two professional ultimate leagues uh, running in the United States. There's the AUDL and the MLU. This kind of piqued our interest. Maria Sharapova 
was banned from tennis for a supplement that she'd said that she'd been taking for like a decade. And I believe it's pronounced uh, meldonium. Right. What's the situation with a supplement or a, a PED, something that's tested for and maybe one of the 200 or so banned by USA Track and Field where an athlete in a cut and clear sport like Ultimate could get an edge? Well, you know, I think that, and there's probably lots of performance enhancing drugs, and hopefully this kind of answers your question. There's a lot of classes of, uh, and we can talk specifically about meldonium, but there's different kind of groups. You have the, the anabolic steroids and a number of others that have certain classes of function. The, the thing about a sport like you're mentioning with Ultimate, where you're right, you know, the cut and clear, but I mean, there's, there is power and speed involved. There's coordination involved. There's concentration involved. So there's a lot of different types of performance enhancing drugs that at least theoretically could be popular with a high level ultimate athlete is I don't I'll, I'll profess I don't know how common it is I've never seen a study uh, a survey of ultimate uh, athletes to know how common it is but at, at least at the top levels, uh, it's conceivable that absolutely, like we see in so many sports, we see it in weekend warriors that don't play competitive sports. We see numbers in these various surveys between 3% to 10% of the population uh, in various groups. So you've got to think that there's probably been and may still be ultimate uh, athletes that are willing to try certain performance-enhancing drugs. When you talk about 3 to 10%, you're talking about regular people, just ge Yeah, generally. Even though, you know, we've, you, we always hear the speculation at certain, you know, in the NFL and Major League Baseball that there's a lot more going on than we hear about and that are getting, that are testing positive. But yeah, if you look at, not so much like the general population, but if you look at specific groups, like people that go to gyms, it's thought to be actually a fair amount higher than that. You know, the guys trying to get in shape and doing it for cosmetic and body image purposes. Uh, you know, the high school sports, you know, you, we think, uh, uh, you know, people that are just trying, you know, the HGH uh, uh, trend that, you know, we don't know real numbers, but as people are getting into their 40s and 50s, there may be a, a fair amount of the kind of the older male population, maybe females that are trying HGH. So I think, you know, it's hard to get real numbers, getting people to, to admit that kind of stuff and all, but I think it's probably more common than, uh, than we'd like to believe. When it comes to supplements, you know, that's a broad term. A lot of things fit under that umbrella. And I think there's a, you know, a dark cloud over things that get labeled as PEDs or steroids, partially because when the term first hit on the scene, a lot of this stuff was unregulated and dudes were taking stuff like, you know, like a crazy, like, you know, horse chemicals or whatever <laughs> that were wildly unsafe and making their foreheads grow. But I'm sure there are you know, substances you can take safely that you could potentially use to enhance your performance in a sport like Ultimate. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, that's, and it's a great point when you mention performance enhancing drugs. Uh, the, the drug sort of implies illegal and, and certainly a lot of what people think of as PEDs would be illegal. But there are substances that are uh, performance enhancing. They're anabolic and some of them like creatine would be a good example. Um, and then there's, you know, thought to be, you know, even I, I just uh, I just did a, a, ma a webinar on performance enhancing drugs not long ago and I saw a study that's saying that people that take regular doses of ibuprofen put on muscle strength. Now, we don't know if that's something about the ibuprofen that makes you stronger or is it helping you 
continue to train while you're hurting that actually helps. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different things that are completely legal. The question is one, uh, you know, how effective are they? And then are the, you have to watch for side effects. We, we, we're hearing so many stories with some of these performance enhancing, uh, supplements where, you know, you go, one, they test them, you know, from these health food stores. The, the government tests them there's, and there's none of that substance in it. But then two, you know, that they don't actually turn out to be performance enhancing, uh, substances. Uh, and then a lot of these potentially can have side effects, you know, and so I think that it's always important if you're thinking about doing that, uh, you know, even over the counter stuff, you pay close attention to the side effects, even consider talking to your doctor if you're starting to notice, uh, any kind of problems. Let's get down to brass tacks here, Dr. Geyer. <laughs> what are some things like, like would meldonium, which is what Maria Sharapova right. was taking, would that benefit an ultimate athlete? What are some things that absolutely help a, a hard cardiovascular sport or a sport right. that requires elements of explosion? Yeah, you know, meldonium is, and it's, and I, I don't think anybody was that familiar with it here in the U.S. Uh, until this happened because it's a drug apparently you can only get in Latvia. Uh, it's a drug to treat ischemia, meaning you lose blood, uh, blood flow, say, to your toes or to your fingers. Uh, and so in, in that small group of patients, it would be helpful. Now, in a, in an athlete sense, you would take something like that to deliver more oxygen to the muscles throughout the body and in theory perform better. So yes, that potentially could work even though there's probably things that are much easier to get here in the United States that would have similar sort of oxygen carrying uh, benefits uh, and would uh, potentially benefit a, an ultimate athlete. So something we were kicking around a little bit before um, was for a sport like ultimate where so much of it is rest and recover right. and you know have, being able to just uh, get rid of lactic acid as quickly as possible and even over the course of a weekend where you're playing all day Saturday and then you'd be able to go again all day Sunday. What do you think would be more effective for an ultimate athlete, uh, sort of like a muscle building and maybe anabolic steroid or some type of like a blood doping thing like what you would see in cycling? Well, the, yeah, they're two, like you say, two very different uh, kind of purposes and, and they each would have their benefits you know, like blood doping where we would take, uh, not we, but the athletes would have, you know, some of their blood taken out. They uh, basically um, concentrate the red blood cells, freeze it, and then, you know, basically put it back into their body to raise the amount of red blood cells in the blood, which allows you to carry more oxygen, which is terrific for an endurance sport. They've gotten largely away from that now. And they, the what they use now, the cyclists and the, these, you know, cross-country skiers, uh, is uh, erythropoietin or EPO uh, you may have heard of, um, which is basically your body makes erythropoietin normally, and that's what helps create red blood cells uh, for the blood. But if you take more of that, you make more red blood cells, and that's really hard to test for. I think my understanding of that is it's for long uh, periods. That's why it's been so effective in cycling and cross-country skiing, but that is something in theory – may be popular and ultimate. The challenge with something like EPO, though, is that it carries a risk of stroke and heart attacks and things because you make the blood too thick with all those red blood cells. I mean, it can kill you. So that's kind of the one thing, things that can increase your lung uh, or your uh, oxygen-carrying uh, capacity for endurance sports. The the thing about anabolic steroids, you know, I know it's not thought of as like a, it makes you big and bulky and maybe you don't need that in ultimate, but a lot of people take anabolic steroids 
to uh, improve. My, and you mentioned the playing lots of uh, uh, or being in lots of competitions over a weekend. There's thought that it helps improve muscle recovery. And so in theory, uh, that would be p- potential benefit. You put your body through the ringer and then uh, the anabolic steroids kind of help it heal, help it recover to get you back performing well. Not that I'm, in, I'm condoning either of those, but they both have theoretical benefits to somebody wanting to get to a top level of ultimate. You mentioned that meldonium is something that was, you know, only available in Latvia, which is kind of crazy to even think. But what about stuff in the U.S. like focus drugs that are popular, Adderall, Ritalin? What kind of impact would that have on the performance? We saw Richard Sherman of the Seattle Seahawks a few years back. He was suspended for a few games for testing positive for for those kind of uh, supplements. Yeah, and, and the, there's rumors that it's popular in a lot of sports. Baseball, maybe, where you have to concentrate as a pitcher, concentrate as a batter on the ball, that, that those types of things would do it. Even people sometimes will drink a lot of caffeine for the focus uh, component of it. But, yeah, you're right. You mentioned some of the stimulants, Ritalin and, and, and Concerta and various forms of it. Uh, I, yeah, I think that, again, I can't give you a number, but it makes sense that any athlete – and this may be something that uh, – Athletes in ultimate might find uh, might be a reason that they start taking it is that they can concentrate a little bit better. Uh, but it's also thought there's thought to be a little bit of an athletic performance uh, benefit too, increased uh, aggression, but also uh, more uh, resistance to fatigue. So you, maybe you last a little bit longer. So there's I think a concentration focus um, heightened. Um, mindset as you're in an athletic competition plus resistance to fatigue i think there's probably a fair amount of appeal to the uh the amphetamines we're going to ask this next question only because it is it's so important and so i think near and dear to the hearts of many of our loyal listeners here on send the fields dr guyer in your professional opinion let's say you are at you're at a medical banquet you're rubbing elbows with your colleagues you're having a few scotches you know you have a couple too many, and the next day you've got to get up and do something really important. How would you beat a hangover? What's what's the what are the you know a couple things that you could yeah. tell our listeners a, a way that you would uh, you get yourself out of that sticky situation? Well, I'll tell you the funny thing that, that you mentioned in my first semester of medical school in biochemistry, the, the biochemistry professor actually gave us his two cents at the end of lecture one day on you know treating a hangover. So I'll I'll, I'll throw this out there um, as what he recommends. The the tr- the challenge with what he recommends is you kind of have to have the foresight to know that you're just going to get hammered so you can plan ahead. Uh, the key he he thought was uh, to replace every drink that you have with a glass of water. So if you had six beers, you got to drink six glasses of water before you go to bed. If you have ten, I mean, so because <laughs> the reason your brain you feel all the headaches and all is you basically your your brain gets dehydrated. And so somehow you have to keep that water in. Uh, so that's where you hear people talk about one drink, one glass of water, one drink. You know, that's where that some of that comes from. And then it may be a, a, a anti-inflammatories like two Advil before you go to bed, something like that. Uh, if it was me, and I don't know how feasible this is for the average listener, if I woke up with a really, really bad hangover and I needed to do something technical, um, 
which hopefully wouldn't happen because <laughs> hopefully I would know what I had the next day to not do that. But no, you would probably go to the emergency room or get your anesthesia friends uh, and get uh, the IV fluids. Uh, so you get the, the fluid in your body right away and the, get the electrolytes, the, the, you know, the potassium and all those things the, the, to make you feel better. That's probably what I would do. But uh, once you've got the hangover, you're kind of behind it. The, that you got to prevent it more than treat it. Okay, so, wow. So a couple key takeaways there that I got. <laughs> Commit to a big night, folks. Don't go into it thinking you're only going to have a couple of drinks when really you know you're going to end up pounding down 12 or 13. Commit to it early. Know what you're dealing with. And two, Tad, I think one of us needs to hit up a hospital on the way to Fool's Fest next weekend so we have a couple <laughs> bags of IV on hand ready to go in the morning. Yeah, I'm curious uh, who's going to give you – who's going to put it in? Like, well, like that, which one of you is going to put the IV in? I, I'd be afraid of being the one getting the IV. That's, you know, I would feel more comfortable YouTubing that than how to YouTube separating red blood cells yeah. from <laughs> the rest of someone else's blood. Well, great to know. Dr. Geyer, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It's so rare that we get a, a, a true professional, really, of any kind on this program, but uh, we really appreciate you doing it. Sound knowledge. You're a Southern gentleman. And... uh henceforth a friend of the show uh, i really appreciate that it was a lot of fun i, I really enjoy it in any way i can help in the future you just let me know thank you so much dr guy all right thank you send the fields Joining us now on the program of Sub-Zero, of the Wind Chill, Grey Duck alum, I don't know, is it the, I think that covered everything, Josh Klain joins us now. Josh, how you doing? Good, how are you? Do you have any other accolades to your life that you would want to brag about Hopkins, here? Like, just Hopkins those three Ultimate. things? Hopkins Ultimate. Got okay. That in there. Ah, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I could think of more things not relating to Ultimate, but, you know. Okay. It doesn't, doesn't really matter on this, on this program. You're right. This is hard <laughs> Ultimate news here. Just... This is hard Ultimate. <laughs> Only Ultimate. Serious Ultimate. Let's get right into it here. You know, I played my whole career in the Metro East. Uh, Pat as well. Yeah, that, that deserves a laugh, actually. <laughs> But I always... I didn't even know it was still a thing. <laughs> yeah, they're still they're still grinding away. Well, now Pennsylvania is in the Ohio Valley region. Um, yeah. But when you think about big college ultimate tournaments, the two that come to mind for me are the Southeast when it has more than one bid. I guess even when it has one bid. But, you know, because of the heat and Florida, but then you've got to think about the North Central Regional Tournament. Can you kind of talk about what it's like and just going into that tournament, what your mindset has to be with Wisconsin and Carlton and the weather being what it is? Yeah. Speaking from someone who played at Minnesota the last five, six, seven years, you know, it's a shit show. It's it's more, <laughs> more often than not, it's a shit show. It's just you got to grind it out. And, you know, for someone that, that – uh, 
goes to Wisconsin and Carlton for, for you know, in, until the last couple of years, it had to be like, you know, some, something that they embrace for sure. Um, Cause they've, they've always dominated. They've always dominated the, the region. Nobody's really come close. And personally, they viewed Minnesota as, you know, a little brother until basically 2015. So, I mean, going into regionals as someone from Minnesota, it was nerve wracking. We wanted to make nationals so bad and it, it never kind of, it never happened. And it was, it was a struggle and it seemed like Carlton and Wisconsin embraced the elements and just, you know, the, the moment in a much better way than we did for a while. Yeah. I mean, it, it actually the last three or four years, it's been, it's been a lot nicer than it's been in the past. I feel like, I mean, 2013, it was awful. It was uh, it was a dark time. North Central Regionals was a dark time in my life for a long time. <laughs> we want to get to 2013 in a little bit here, but let's start with this year. A big year for Grey Duck to win the region. I think anytime you win the North Central, that's a huge accomplishment. But let's get down to brass tacks. What happened to Cut? Like you were there, you were ripping beers, you were on the sidelines. What happened to Carlton? You know, I was ripping ciders actually, 16 ounce ciders for the most part. <laughs> But yeah, no, actually, so it, it's funny. I was, so me and uh, Ryan Osgar and Josh Pilots, who's an alum who made all the funny videos, if you've ever watched a funny uh, Minnesota Great Oak video, that's, that's who made those. We were heckling and drinking heavily on the sideline of the Wisconsin-Minnesota game. I showed up then, like, a couple points in, and it was really fun game, really fun to heckle those hot eggs. Minnesota at some point kind of took a a decent lead. Like it, it seemed like you know we had control of the game, and I actually was just joking with Ryan that Iowa State was beating Carlton. It was the next field over. Like all the fields that were right there, and I was just joking with them. And he's like, Ryan, Iowa State's winning, and he's like, really? I was like, no, they're not. <laughs> um, <laughs> But then I actually went on Twitter and looked, and they were winning. And I was in completion. I really, the last couple of years, there's not really been any other teams besides the three powerhouses to, to step up. I was utterly shocked when I saw that Iowa State had like an 11-10 lead or something. And at that moment, we were on the other side, so we weren't in between the fields. We didn't really care about the other game. Um, but at that moment, we were like, all right, we got, you know, we got a sizable lead. Like, we're, you know, we're, we're feeling good about Minnesota right now. By the way, it's really great to come to regionals and not really give a shit and just get drunk and just tackle. It was amazing to just go there and not really give a shit. Yeah, no pressure. Just, you know, have a good time. No pressure. For fucking four years, it was like the most immense pressure of my life or three years, you know, whatever. Um, but um, it was just beautiful to just get there and, and not really care and just have a good time and heckle. But, yeah, so we go over to the other field. We go over in between, and it's happening. I'm starting to get really drunk, and, like, I'm just, like, freaking out. And they didn't have observers, so no one really knows if it's, like, soft cap or not. I think I was had a chance to win on the goal line. They, like, just missed this crazy layout to win upwind it was beautiful you could just see the fear and pressure in carlton and iowa state was legit 
I was thoroughly shocked by these players that were playing. Like, it was not a fluke. It was not like it was 40-mile-per-hour wind. It was windy, but it was – these guys were making plays and and playing really solid. And, like, they gave Carlton four or five shots, you know, like in multiple points, and Carlton couldn't get it done. So, I mean, I didn't really catch most of the game, but the end of the game was spectacular. And I was screaming and – the Iowa State moms were loving me because I was, you know, I, I don't know what I was saying, but I was saying something that, that they like. You seem like the kind of dude that tests well on the mom demographic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love moms. I'm, I'm good with moms. <laughs> Diagnose cuts problems. Like, what, what was happening? It seems you know, like it was almost like a moral failure as much as just one on the field from Carlton. I really don't know. I watched like three or four points and they were super long. I don't know. I think they were missing a lot. of. I mean, you have to put it in context. Like everyone's saying they were missing Joe White. And Joe White is one of the top three players in the country in the college division. And uh, they were missing some other guys. And so I really don't know. I mean, even then, like every team is missing some guys. Minnesota was missing Cole Wallen, one of their best players. Wisconsin was missing, you know, some of their players. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But I was excited to see Iowa State win. Going back, it reminded me of 2015 when we won the region for the first time. Cut and Wisconsin has always been the top dogs, has always dominated the region. And it's just, it's cool to see them go down. Were you more excited to see Carlton lose to Iowa State than you were to see Minnesota win the region? Mm. Um, ooh, that's a good question. Probably yes. Good. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like gave up watching. Like, I wasn't even watching the end of the Hodag Minnesota game. Wisconsin made like a little run. Like, they got a couple breaks. They got an upwind break. And I really didn't give a shit because like what was going on was crazy. And uh, as far as winning the like, if Minnesota didn't beat the Hodags, like that was a big thing. Like, I it was important that Minnesota and this in this bracket whoever made championship, those two teams made nationals automatically. Um, I don't really know a lot of the Carlton guys personally. And I, you know, I have a lot of Carlton friends and individually, I love some of those guys, but like as a program, I, like I've always just despised Wisconsin and Carlton. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was really awesome to see. And I think more importantly, it wasn't a fluke. Like Iowa State, I was in awe of a couple of those guys. So who were you rooting for in the game to go then with Cut versus Wisco? That's funny. Um, I was willing to let the game come to me. Like I was. Mm. Just like, <laughs> That's very zen of you. Oh, yes. You know, and I told a lot of people, I was like, if I could live just in this moment, if I had one moment that I could relive over and over again, it would just be watching Wisconsin and Carlton fight it out to the death for a bit. <laughs> And that's right. what we got. And it was <laughs> and it was fun. It didn't matter who won because one of them had to lose. And that was exactly. That was all you exactly. <laughs> and, you know, if anything, I came to a consensus that, like, each time this happened in 2015, we watched those two play and Carlton lost to Hodags. And I was like, okay, maybe this time the Hodags should lose. And they have that big streak. So I guess I was in some way at the start of the game, I was rooting for Carlton. Um, but. It didn't matter. It really didn't matter. I was sort of rooting for Wisconsin just because it almost makes that Iowa State 
win seemed like it has like more gravity if they broke Carlton's spirit. Yeah. You know? And now yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like if if Carlton win that game, then it's like, you know, we can dog on Carlton, but they're still going to Natties. They could still win Natties, you know. Now it's like Absolutely. they just have a whole season of just like yeah. random twelve year olds on Reddit being like, Yo, <laughs> yeah. And and you know what? Uh, like very good in Jordan Farm. It's awesome, but it's also like it's kinda sad too. But it's awesome. You know, I think we can all agree. This is about as close as it gets to there's like a great it's like a ten year old video on YouTube of an Alabama fan being interviewed and they're like, Say what you just said about Tennessee and he's like, Okay. He's like, I hate Tennessee, man. I dislike Auburn, but I hate Tennessee. I hate everything about him. Yeah. The soul loses. Like, it just goes on and on and on. It's good to get your perspective. I do find it interesting how you, like, waffled back and forth between hating Cut and Wisco more. Oh, totally. I hate him in different ways, you know. Because hate is a rainbow. I don't know. You know there's I, a lot of different you know, colors and, and, to it. And listen, I I, I wanted to be hated. I, I was waitlisted from Wisconsin. I my Both my sisters went to Wisconsin. I You know, I was set on going there. My cousin... Played for the Odags, Evan. It was just, when I was at Minnesota, the first two or three years, it was always this little brother thing where, like, Wisconsin and Carlton both just, you know, they didn't think anything of us, really, no matter how we did in the regular season. And it was obvious. I mean, we, we choked in 2013, and then 2014, we didn't make it again. But there were some instances that really kind of fueled my fire, you know, whether it was Hodak's tweeting, the dominance of Carlton and Wisconsin that keeps going after, I don't know, 2013 maybe. And then something specifically will stick in my mind, and you can thank the Hodaks for this great up run, at least at least the 2015 run, is when they were heckling us in pool play in 2015. We were playing like Luther or UMD, and they were finished with their game already, and they were heckling us on the sideline. And uh, in a way that, a, you know, a big brother would. And that really was the catalyst for that tournament. It was, I mean, I was nervous as hell that tournament. I, it was my last year, and we got the history of choking, and it's a two-bid region. I was scared as hell, but after that moment, when the Hodags were heckling us, it was like, fuck this. We have to do this. And then we annihilated Carlton. We annihilated, or we didn't annihilate the Hodags, but it was a close game, but we won. <laughs> no, fuck them. We annihilated them. No, no one look at score reporter. We annihilate Carlton, which is good. Before the last, like, four years, it, there was this pretentious feeling that, like, they didn't really take us seriously, and, I mean, it was the shit. They dominated. They dominated the region. They dominated us. And it's just, it's beautiful to see all these guys on Grey Duck who only know they've won the region three out of five years. That's all I wanted. I made nationals one out of five years. There were some dark times, but that win it was just the best moment in my ultimate career. Personally, I love, I love a lot of those guys. I love a lot of those guys. I'm friends with guys from both those teams. It's just kind of the, 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 the persona of both those teams that I, I dislike. You sound like someone who came back from World War II, <laughs> and it's just like... Damn proud of the life I built for this family. <laughs> it's yeah, the idea got, of the Germans the that idea. I hate. 
Right, yeah, like, my my son can do whatever he wants. He can pursue his passions. I'm damn proud of the life I built, but he will not drive a German car. Exactly. I have one time where I get to really see them play this year, and it was at regionals this year, and it was just beautiful. I was hungry over the next two days, and I lost my voice. I'm just getting back. But I had a great time. By the time it was all said and done, I'd been up for three days straight, and my penis looked like a sausage without a casing. And the crazy thing is, I wasn't even close to rock bottom. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna this is a pass for me. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I'm gonna go back to the drawing board with that one, and I'm gonna yeah. rework yeah. it. And the next time you're on, we'll revisit. Okay. It. 